We reject the ideology of globalism, and we embrace the doctrine of patriotism. Not only will this tax plan pay for itself, but it will pay down debt. There are moral and legal obligation questions that I think we'll have to wrestle with as a society. When we as people go wobbly on the truth, we go wobbly on America. All you have to do is look at the numbers, look at what we've done. And this is only the beginning. Good morning, everyone. You're tuned in to 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. This is Evidence of Design. I'm your host, Jason Taylor, joined via Zoom by my good friends and co-hosts, Matt Treadwell. What's up? And Mary Lawrence. You. We are pre-recording the show on Thursday. Protest. December 10th. So we are not live, unfortunately. But uh, we're doing what we need to do to stop the spread of COVID-19 because it is real bad out there, folks. And hey, that's what we're going to start our show with. For those new to Evidence of Design, we critique income and wealth inequality. If you did not know it, uh, there's a lot of economic inequality out there. And it's not by accident. It is designed by those in power, primarily by both parties because of their failed economic policies, but mainly because of the Republican Party and its insistence on free market capitalism that has destroyed the social safety net and what it means to live in a society with each other that takes care of basic human and material needs. Does it sound dramatic? Uh, Well, it might, but uh, I don't think it's far from the truth. Indeed, I think it is the truth that right now in our society, there are too many people who can't meet their basic material needs. And it's not their fault because they're lazy or not hardworking. It's the fault of the system's design. We will examine the evidence of that design on this show. So for today's episode, our feature is examining the Georgia runoff elections for both Senate seats there. Uh, This is the the highest profile outstanding election from the 2020 general election, meaning because of Georgia's rules, there's a runoff for both of the Senate seats. And there's a, well, a Democrat pitted against a Republican. Both of the incumbents in the Senate seats are Republicans. So Democrats are trying to take their seats. As of right now, if the Republicans uh, hold on to their seats, the Democrats will be in a minority in the Senate at 48 seats to 52 seats. If the Democrats happen to take those seats from the Republicans in Georgia, then the Senate will be tied throughout at least the first two years of the Biden presidency at a 50-50 split with Vice President Kamala Harris being the decision-making vote, assuming, of course, everyone votes on party lines. That's a big deal. We're not just going to look at the Georgia elections uh, for the sake of Georgia. We are going to be examining the elections through the lens of what is the rhetoric of the Democratic Party? We are going to be offering 
to the void here. Um, tips and uh, ho you know optimism, hopefully, for what the Democratic Party can do so that it can actually start to win elections and hold on to power. Because uh, the Democrats Praise have... Sithis. <laughs> What's that, Matt? Praise Sithis. Yes, the Democrats haven't been too good at uh, winning elections and holding on to power for quite some time. And so, uh, Matt, I, I, think, I think you and I figured it out. I think we figured it out. I think we hold the answers to our political dilemma and we're going to offer it. Only we can offer it. Just you and me. I'm sorry. Am I talking like someone who reminds you of someone who, who tends to, you know, of a party who tends to win elections? Um, yeah. So we're going to examine the rhetoric, the rhetoric of the Democratic Party and see uh, what we can start doing to win elections and maintain power. Secret, um, Dem er, you know, spoiler alert, we think the Democrats don't really stand for anything besides being they're not Republicans. Not good. Democrats have to take a much more firm stance, we argue, and say, look, we are going to make the government bigger and stronger, and we're going to raise taxes on the wealthy to meet people's basic material needs and, their, and recognize their humanity. That's what we argue, being big and bold about that. Before we get there, though, we always start out the show with the latest COVID-19 facts and figures. Uh, as we mentioned, it's not looking too good out there. That's why we are pre-recording this show. Mary, do you want to kick us off? What does it look like out there right now with COVID-19? I sure would like to kick us off. And by that, I mean kick us off the planet because it's not a great time <laughs> to be in this thing. Um, so as I did last week, I am not actually covering the world and national numbers right now, because as a local broadcast, I feel we really need to focus on our local numbers because they are pretty severe at the moment. And today I put together a little bit of a comparison so we can look back at some previous month's numbers and just see how we're doing um, in comparison, because as this happens day by day, I think it's become really normalized. So today, the really big news, uh, big bad news, is that there was the highest death rate to date in Monroe County. Nine people died from COVID-19 today, uh, today being December 12th, or sorry, <laughs> December 10th, 2020. Um the highest to date, I think, has been seven, and both yesterday and the day before there were seven deaths due to COVID-19, but today is the highest to date from the beginning of the pandemic. Currently, the rolling seven-day average positivity rate is 8.62%. Uh, since yesterday, there are 700, I'm sorry, I'm talking backwards today, 678 new confirmed cases of COVID-19. Wow. And the rolling average is 581 new cases per day. Wow. And like I said, this is, it's slowly growing day by day. And I feel like it's becoming normal. Uh, so when we see like 300 cases, like we did on Monday after a testing lapse, that felt like not very many cases. And I think we're getting a little immune to the numbers. So I just want to go back uh, briefly and look at some of our more recent numbers to put this in context. So again, 678 new cases today since the last update, which was yesterday. A week ago, 
the average positivity rate was just below 7%. There were 654 new confirmed cases that day and the rolling average, average was 518. Not so different from today, but a little lower. A month ago, on November 10th, the average positivity rate was less than half of what it is today. It was 3.95%. There were 217 new confirmed cases and the seven day rolling average was 179 cases per day. Now those numbers kind of sound pretty low, but let's look at three months ago in September, mid-September, there were 20 new confirmed cases that day, 20. And at that point, we weren't even talking about positivity rate or the rolling averages yet. We were just talking about number of cases per day and who had those cases. Six months ago in June, when it was when COVID-19 was peaking uh, in May and June around the country, in the first wave, there were 21 new confirmed cases. And even in mid-May, seven months ago on the 10th of May, there were 49 new cases. Wow. So let's say again, today there were 678 new confirmed cases of COVID-19. People are still going to work. People are still going out. People are still going shopping. And some people are still refusing to wear masks. So I think right now is a really good moment to reconsider our position and you know, rethink what we're doing. Um, there are a couple other things I- Would you would say we have a, a great opportunity? Yes. Would you say we have a wonderful opportunity to reconsider what we're doing right now? Absolutely. I mean, I think that at any moment, it's a great opportunity for the federal government to decide that they should be paying people to stay home because that's the only way that we're really going to beat this until there's a vaccine. And we don't have a vaccine yet. We're not going to have a vaccine for everyone for several months, at least. You know, the first ones are starting to roll out, but it's going to be a while before the everyday person can get a vaccine. Right now, people are struggling even to get tests. There, I have bad news to me. Republicans don't want to give people money because they don't. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, okay. Just, just wanted to make sure that we we are all on the same page here. Oh no, I know. I, yeah. And there, are, there are a couple other local things that I'd like to mention before I end this update um, because some of the restriction regulations have changed. So we discussed previously previously on this show what it means to be in an in a yellow, orange, or red zone. Uh, based on those previous restrictions, Monroe, Monroe County and specifically the city of Rochester would already have been in a red zone because we have spent more than 10 days uh, at over a 5% positivity rate, as well as having more than 10 cases per day uh, per 100,000 people. And this week, Governor Cuomo changed these strategies. Uh, so I'm going to read from the New York State uh, announcement. Under the microcluster strategy, regions that reach critical hospital capacity will be designated as a red zone. Specifically, following the implementation of the state's surge and flex program, if a region's seven-day average hospitalization growth rate shows that the region will reach 90% within the next three weeks, the region will become a red zone. So at this point, the only way we are going to be shutting down in New York State, according to this regulation, is if the hospitals are about to reach capacity. 
It's funny how we always have to wait for a large amount of people to die before we decide to do anything about what's killing people. Mary, uh, how do our hospitals look locally? Well, we are as, you know, we have the highest infection rate uh, that we've had. We have the highest number of hospitalizations that we've had. There are currently 604 patients hospitalized in the Finger Lakes region and over 100, so 114 of those are currently in the ICU. Unfortunately, I don't know what that means for the percentage of beds that are taken up in the hospital due to COVID cases. Um, so I can't say that right now, but we, uh, it is a significantly higher number of people in the hospital than were, you know, a month or two months ago. And just to put things in perspective again, with all the numbers you shared, Mary, you know, today on Thursday, the sort of 678 new cases of COVID, um, seven months ago during our first peak, as it's been called, you know, back when everything was shut down, there was just 49 cases. So, so right now we have 14 times the number of COVID-19 cases than there was seven months ago when everything was shut down. So 14 times the number of cases. It's, uh, okay. it's, uh, it's a lot of cases. It's a lot of cases and a lot of the aid that was available at that time, um, as you said, when everything was shut down, a lot of the aid that was available to people at that time has ended or is about to end. Okay. So COVID's worse than it's ever been and there's uh, little to no aid. Correct. Hmm. It almost sounds like it, an opportunity for government to step in and help people. Maybe does, I'm being bold. Yeah. Maybe I'm being bold. Maybe it's up to the free market to decide who lives and who dies and who gets money, who doesn't. May, you know, maybe. Um, otherwise, maybe the government can help people because we as human beings live in a society and can decide how to distribute resources in a rational way that's not beholden to the magic of the free market. There is. I think you're living in a fantasy world. Oh, okay. There's, yeah, I figured. Nobody's ever done that. I'll go back to there... playing video games. <laughs> Well, Jason, there is one more change that has happened, um, which maybe will help us put things into perspective. Uh, so in Rochester, as, as we all know, the schools have been closed and uh, one of the new restrictions or new regulations put out by uh, New York State uh, following guidance from the CDC is that if a region's hospitalization rate doesn't stabilize by December 12th, so two days from now, um, additional restrictions will be applied to indoor dining. And in New York City, specifically, if the hospitalization rate doesn't stabilize by December 12th, indoor dining will be suspended. And outside New York City, capacity restrictions will be reduced to 25%. So kids can't go to school, but if the hospitalizations don't stabilize, then we're not going to be able to eat in restaurants anymore. So I know like behavior change suggests that belittling and making fun of people isn't the best way to create change, but who's eating in restaurants right now? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I, we're going to lose indoor dining. I, I thought, I thought indoor dining wasn't even allowed at this point anyways, in the city of Rochester, at least, but like, I, <laughs> who's eating in restaurants, right? Who's, who's going to bars? Do you know anyone who's doing that? If you do, uh, Maybe tell them not to. Well, Jason, Jason, let me sh <laughs> let me step in and radical conservative. I don't think shaming is the right thing to right way to do things. Okay. You know, Bello said there's oftentimes criticism when we see people get get sick, and you know, did they violate a rule? 
Did they violate protocol? We need to support everyone. Um, it is, I don't think we need to moralize this at this moment. Um, I don't think it's a good idea to have indoor dining either, but you know, I, I do just think that we need to continue to suggest that everyone not do that <laughs> wear a mask. <laughs> I feel yeah. pretty comfortable moralizing. <laughs> Last week, I was in such a good mood for whatever well, reason. It's not the right people to be moralizing, though, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh I, yeah, I, I mean, absolutely moralizing the Republican Party who continues to do nothing and just watches people die in droves. Right. Yeah. 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 Moralize right. them all you want. <laughs> oh, I intend to. I was in such a good mood last week and I was like trying to be optimistic and I was like, hey, you guys are dragging me down, but that's okay. And now I, I don't know where my good mood went, but I also thought that it would leave like even by the end of last week's show and dang it, um, <laughs> I'll try to try to keep it up. But folks, we got to remind you that you're tuned in to 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. You're listening to Evidence of Design. Mary, thank you for sharing the latest COVID-19 facts and figures locally. Um, to, oh, to, and opinions too. I shared some of those. <laughs> of course. Um, to restate, COVID's really bad out there, folks. All right. Take care of yourselves and others. And the best way to do that is by wearing a mask, maintaining at least six feet of physical distancing, not being inside an enclosed space with other people for prolonged periods of time, frequently washing your hands, and just, you know, trying to stay away from folks. That's the best way to go about preventing the spread of COVID-19, especially now as it's so bad we do not want our hospitals to get overwhelmed of course we do not want people who need to get care not be able to receive it because our health system is so bogged down nor do we want people to even have to deal with um, this virus at all even if it doesn't mean a trip to the hospital because it can have long-lasting health complications for people and hey it stinks being sick, right? And it can, COVID-19 can cause horrible complications for anyone of any age of any background and why take that risk? So please take care of yourselves out there and do the basic things of wearing a mask and maintaining physical distancing. With that being said, why don't we transition to the feature for today's show? And that is talking about the Senate runoff elections happening in Georgia right now. I'm because so excited. Oh, yeah. Because of Georgia rules and regulations, uh, if a candidate doesn't win by a, by a lot, then it goes to a runoff. I'm being if very... they don't win at least 50% of the vote. Right. So you need a majority, not a plurality in Georgia. And not, none of the candidates in the 2020 general election won a majority, just pluralities. And therefore, they're going into runoff elections. It will be uh, Democratic... Uh, candidate Raphael Warnock versus incumbent Kelly Loeffler. Leffler. Leffler. Thank you. I mean, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say, uh, I meant to say radical conservative corporate shrill anti-democratic liar Kelly Leffler uh, versus Raphael Warnock. And then on the other election, there is uh, John Ossoff, the Democrat versus Republican incumbent David Perdue. So in both instances, Democrats challenging incumbent Republicans. Again, this decides, these elections decide how the Senate is looks for at least the first two years of the Biden presidency, whether or not it will be a Mitch McConnell Republican majority Senate, or if it will be a 50-50 so long as there's a party line vote split uh, down the middle with Kamala Harris, of course, the vice president, breaking the tie in favor of the Democrats. It's a big deal. 
It's a big deal election. Uh, we are all the way up in upstate New York and Rochester, New York. Why the heck are we talking about elections in Georgia? Well, we think that it is worth examining, as we've done so often before on the show, the state of our politics, particularly Democratic politics. We are very critical of the Republican Party, not a whole fan at all of modern conservative politics. We think they're terrible and disastrous in so many ways. We also, Let's play the clip. Yes. We also critique Democratic politics because uh, Democrats don't really have much of a vision nowadays. Democrats have been struggling for a long time rhetorically and even you know policy-wise to be like, what do we stand for? The Democrats tend to be meek. They tend to be... Um, you know, low energy. <laughs> and uh, too often Democrats style themselves as well, at least we're not Republicans. Instead of taking bold, firm commitments on meeting people's material needs. Because at least that's what the party should be for, right? Republicans are for corporate interests. Democrats are for people. And that is a very, very... Um, well, they should be. They should be in theory, and I know that's a, a very, you know, hard to generalize reality that way. But in theory, and in terms of the party roots for modern politics, that's kind of what it should be for. But too often, as we've critiqued, the Democrats are standing for corporate interests as well, because corporate interests are running rampant in our free market capitalist society nowadays, because we live in a broken political and cultural system. Matt, are we starting with that clip? Are we? Doing I thought you wanted to start. With Closing statements. Start with right. closing statements. Okay, so we are going to frame our discussion by listening to the closing statements in the debate that happened this week between Kelly, Le sorry, radical conservative corporate shrill anti-democratic liar Kelly Loeffler versus Raphael Warnock. So here is Loeffler's closing statement from this week's debate. Well, thank you to everyone who tuned in to this important debate. You can see what's at stake. There are two visions for our country, mine, the American dream, my opponent, socialism. This is what's on the ballot January 5th, the American dream. I was born and raised on a farm. I grew up working in the fields. I built my career. I became a job creator right here in Georgia, and I have been blessed to live the American dream. But Chuck Schumer said it best. Now we take Georgia, then we change America. They would increase our taxes, open our borders, socialize our health care. And my opponent, radical liberal Raphael Warnock, is his agent of change, someone that has falsely used the Bible to attack our military. The Bible never said that we serve, uh, that you can't serve God and in the military. He's attacked our police officers. He wants to fundamentally change America into a socialist country. Well, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm working hard for every single Georgian. I'm Kelly Leffler. I'm asking for your vote on January 5th. Thank you, and may God bless America. That was near-sentient Amazon AI, Kelly Leffler, claiming to have working people's interests at heart by saying she grew <laughs> up on a... Uh, radical conservative corporate Sherlock anti-democratic liar, Kelly Leffler, right. Uh, Matt, you're, you pretend you're Kelly Leffler's opponent. She just came out and said, look, I stand for conservative values. I'm all about the Second Amendment. I'm all about abortion rights. I'm all about the American dream and conservative values. You, Jason, Matt, you're putting you... too many inflections in that. I'm sorry, but her tone is <laughs> way more flat. <laughs> you, Matt, you are a radical socialist who wants to raise my taxes, expand governments, and want open borders and expensive Green New Deal. You're going to bankrupt everyone. What do you say to that, Matt? 
How do you come back at that brilliant argument? Well, I would say that uh, real-life American psycho inspiration, Kelly Leffler, seems to be confusing culture with politics. And if we understand politics in the traditional sense, it's just the advocacy or the advocation for one's own material interests. And if we understand what our, what our own material interests are, then we also understand that as the wealthiest senator uh, currently serving with an estimated wealth of well over half a, half a, half a billion dollars, I believe, oh, yes. in, the, in the ballpark of 800 million, then fugitive Nexus 6 replicant Kelly Leffler <laughs> is our political enemy, is the political enemy of any working class person. And so she, the, she clearly does not uh, represent or have any interest in working class America's uh, uh, material interests. Matt, I, I have to agree with you here, and maybe some people are listening to our rhetoric now and, and cringing. Uh, describing radical conservative corporate shrill anti-democratic liar Kelly Leffler as a political enemy is accurate because K- Kelly Leffler, who likes to tout her 100% voting record with Donald, with President Donald Trump, Kelly Leffler, who looks to tout her so-called American dream and conservative values, every single thing that she has done in office has lessened the quality of life for working class Americans. You can look at that by her voting record and look at that by the policies and practices she stands for. And so she is literally the political enemy for your material interests if you are not a member of the 1% in America. As someone who's worth close to $1 billion, the wealthiest senator, the senator who pretends to be working class, when she has, she said in the debate, she infamously said, I have no racist bone in my body, even though she has called Black Lives Matter movement a fascist movement. Kelly Leffler, the only accurate thing you could say in her body is that she has no working class bone in her body. And therefore she is the political enemy for the vast majority of Americans. And if you are working class, meaning if the only way you are able to meet your material needs in the United States of America is by selling your time in the form of labor for, for clothing, food, shelter, healthcare, et cetera, that means you're a member of the working class. And Kelly Leffler is your political enemy because her votes and her ideas and her interests reduce your quality of life, period. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to I just want to point out real quickly that um, the, the we're making fun of Kelly Leffler here in, in part, I think, because, um, well, for one thing, the, the quality of this debate was very, was rather uh, poor, I would say. And I'm sure you agree with me, Jason, in that. Uh, uh, Ludovico technique success story, Kelly Leffler continued to refer to her uh, opponent, Raphael Warnock, as a radical, um, you know, radical liberal, radical socialist. She couldn't mention his name without prefacing it with that. I think there's even a few instances in the debate when she <laughs> began by saying, my opponent, Raphael Warnock, but then stopped herself and said, my opponent, Raphael, my, I mean, my opponent, radical liberal Raphael Warnock. And so the, uh, the, the, if the quality of our debates is going to be, you know, reduce the insults, then we might as well have some fun with it and some creativity. 
Well, indeed. So there's a way to be tongue in cheek while harnessing better arguments. So when we call Kelly Leffler radical conservative corporate shill anti-democratic liar, Kelly Leffler, those are true statements. Um, and, and but I will also back them up by articulating a political vision that proves that I'm going to fight for a a better material reality for you. Right. right. That's not so that, the Republicans are really good at the insults and then they lie. The Democrats are really bad at the insults and then they moralize. <laughs> and so the Democrats aren't able to articulate a better material vision. And so then people side with the lies as opposed to the lies. Matt, when I asked you, how would you respond to Leffler calling you a socialist or a democratic, you know, liberal? I thought your answer was compelling. Let's hear, however, how Raphael Warnock responded in his closing, sta- closing statements. Again, he's a Democrat. Thank you so much, and thanks to everybody who tuned in tonight. I'm Raphael Warnock. Uh, I'm one of 12 children in my family, and I'm number 11, the first college graduate. Listen, uh, these are dark and difficult times. And amidst the thick fog of this pandemic and the economic turndown, even during this season of joy, it's hard for people to find joy. I think about my dad in a moment like this. God bless his memory. He used to wake me up every morning at dawn and said, get ready, get dressed, put shoes on. It was dawn. And so it was morning, but it was still dark. It's dark right now, but morning is on the way. It's our job, Georgia, to put our shoes on and get ready because there are those who are engaged in the politics of division. They have no vision. And so they engage in division. Uh, Tomorrow is the last day to register. Tell everybody you know to make a vote plan because health care is on the ballot. Workers are on the ballot. Voting rights is on the ballot. Criminal justice reform is on the ballot. And if you give me the honor of representing you in the U.S. Senate, we have to I'll go, be thinking sir. about Georgia every single day. That was Democratic challenger Raphael Warnock in his clothing, closing remarks in this week's Senate debate between the two candidates, Raphael Warnock and radical conservative corporate shill anti-democratic liar Kelly Leffler. I thought the last 10 seconds of Raphael Warnock's closing statement was helpful when he was talking about, look, on the ballot is health care, is criminal justice, is immigration, vote for me, is, you know, is workers, because I'm going to protect and fight for those things. The other, the other 60 seconds is often what you hear from Democrats, I think, which is like, I have feelings, I'm relatable, I have values. My my favorite thing about that was when he uh, explained the concept of dawn. (laughs) Because as someone who who goes to bed at like 4 a.m. most days and wakes up at noon, I have very little experience with dawn. (laughs) But I found that very helpful. I thought it was interesting how he talks about the other side not having a vision and therefore engaging in division, which was like a nice play on words. But um, I think what one of the things you're getting at here, and, and I'm sure you'll get into, is that it's really the other way around. And, and the division does actually further a vision for the country, um, whereas his doesn't do that. Yeah. And I'll, we'll extend that in a second after reminding you that you're listening to Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. We started out the show by covering the latest COVID-19 facts and figures locally, and now we're talking about the Senate 
runoff elections in Georgia to decide the fate of the U.S. Senate for at least the first two years of the Joe Biden presidency. And we're examining the rhetoric on both sides, Republican and Democrat, to make the arguments that the Democratic Party does not really stand for much nowadays, and they must stand for something more than being nice, moral people or not as bad as Republicans, right? Those sort of weak, squishy things. Mary, to get to your point, totally. Like the problem with so much of Democratic rhetoric nowadays is that they're not articulating a clear vision. When Raphael Warnock says the Republicans are practicing the politics of division, that doesn't mean they don't have a politics. I think Republican politics are very clear and Republicans are very, very good at using their own form of moralizing to say, this is what we think for the country. You know, if we talk about Donald Trump, it is very clear what Donald Trump wants to do for the country. And you either agree or disagree with that vision. When it comes to Joe Biden, it is much harder if you ask the average person or any person to think, what does Joe Biden stand for, right? Because right now, you know, are Democrats for the Green New Deal? Meaning, do they want to take systematic reform of our country and, uh, you know, production systems to actually tackle climate change and prevent human extinction? Well, it depends. Some people in the Democratic Party, yes, some people no. Are Democrats for Medicare for all? It depends. You know, some say, oh, we, you know, we want health care that works for everyone. And some are saying, no, absolutely. Health care is a human right. Make it happen. Are Democrats for Black Lives Matter and, you know, defunding the police? I, I don't think you'd find a Democrat who would say they're not for Black Lives Matter. But when it comes to actually changing systems like, you know, the criminal justice system and re-articulating funding to go away from the criminal justice system and policing towards other social safety nets and systems, uh, then it gets a little bit washy. And so they're not yeah, articulating. Uh I think that watching Democrats express support for Black Lives Matter and, and similar like-minded organizations while also balancing um, or, or any, well, actually supporting any actual uh, politics that would involve radical reform is a lot like seeing an uh, 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 unapologetic white woman, Kelly Leffler, um, try to balance uh, not consenting that Joe Biden won the presidential election, but also saying that Georgia's going to get out the vote because they can't let, they can't let another fraudulent election take place, even though they're claiming that our, all our elections are fraudulent now. Right. It's the same kind of just uh, two faced um, naked, um, uh, 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 contempt. Well, let's listen to a, a great example of two-faced naked contempt by radical anti-democratic socialist uh, corporate shrill Kelly Loeffler. Did I just call her a radical anti-democratic socialist? Sure, let's go with it. <laughs> the candidate with no working class bone in her body. Um, let's listen to some of that. Here's Loeffler talking about how she thinks that she's the product of the American dream. Well, first of all, I have been blessed to live the American dream, and that's what I'm fighting for every single day in Washington, because I was born and raised on a farm. I grew up working in the fields. I started filling out a time card when I was 11. 
I waitressed my way through high school and college, and I was the first in my family to graduate from college. I know what it means to live paycheck to paycheck. I've done it. And I also know I'm blessed to live the American dream, and that's why I'm fighting to protect it. That's why conservative values matter, to uphold the Constitution. Our freedoms are, are under attack in this country. The religious freedom, uh, the right to life, the Second Amendment. And that's what helps create opportunity for all Georgians to live freely. But my opponent, radical liberal Raphael Warnock, is a socialist. He supports policies that would grow our government, bankrupt hardworking families with high taxes. The cost of the Green New Deal on every Georgian family would be $75,000, and taxes would go up $2,000 per family. That's why I'm focused on helping every single Georgian succeed. Does Kelly Leffler dream? Can I ask how you both made it through that entire debate? Uh, I was laughing the whole time. I was shouting. <laughs> I mean, I was with you and you were watching it, Jason, but um, yeah. we're in a pod just for our listeners. But um, that's brutal. Why is it brutal, Mary? It's, I mean, for one, it just sounds like she memorized a script and is repeating it very badly and she doesn't it sounds like she doesn't believe in any of these things and when she talks about this idea of the american dream is like hey you know i i grew up on a farm and no one else in my family graduated from college until well i mean maybe they did after she did but it's it's like i mean it sounds like she is protecting she wants to protect the right for people to be born into poverty and have to scrape their way to the top. Exactly. Yeah. So Kelly Leffler's, so Matt, as you spoke earlier, uh, Kelly Leffler is the wealthiest senator in the United States Senate. She's worth close to $1 billion. Her husband uh, and so but let me read you from a Wikipedia page. Kelly Leffler earned her MBA and then she went on to work for Citibank, William Blair and Company and the Crossroads Group. In 2002, she joined Intercontinental Exchange. That's a commodity and financial service provider specializing in investor relations. She married Intercontinental Exchange's CEO, Jeffrey Spreacher. And Loeffler was eventually promoted to Senior Vice President of Investor Relations and Corporate Communications at her husband's firm. By the way, Intercontinental Exchange is the sort of conglomerate that runs the New York Stock Exchange. Oh, you know, just the best people. <laughs> yeah. And in 2018, she became the CEO of Backed, a subsidiary of Intercontinental Exchange, again, her husband's company. Uh, in 2009, Loeffler helped Intercontinental Exchange mark, establish a market credit default swap clearinghouse in the Cayman Islands as an offshore tax haven. And this allowed the Intercontinental Exchange to use other countries as a way to um, hide their taxes and not pay them to U.S. government and therefore the American people. So, you know, when, when Kelly Leffler talks about protecting the American dream and, and, you know, she is the vision of the American dream, she goes on to cite things like the Second Amendment and the right to life and religion. And that gets to your point earlier, Matt, about uh, confusing politics with culture. Those, the Second Amendment, the right to life, you know, abortion and so-called religious freedom, we're not going to debate those right now. They're issues in their own right, in their own ways. Th those things did not cause Kelly Leffler to be a member of 
of the 1%. And those things have nothing to do with material interests. The problem is, and this is conservatives' brilliance, is that, you know, uh, the average conservative who votes against their own material interests, people who are in the working class, but they're, but still vote for Republicans, vote for Republicans because someone like Kelly Leffler, a billionaire, basically, is talking to them about owning guns, not killing babies and abortion, and being able to practice their own Christian religion. And people buy into that, they suck it up, and then they vote for it, even while they are throwing their material interests down the drain, right? And, and I'd like to add that, is that... Um, that despite the fact that, you know, we all think that Kelly Leffler is uh, on the wrong side of this, she's the one who sticks out far more than the other candidate, yep. whose name I actually can't remember. <laughs> Raphael Warnock. Radical socialist. Right. Matt, are you going to say the, something? The thing is, is that... Uh, most people who vote Republican vote against their own material interests. The irony, I think, is that most people who vote Democrat also vote against their own material interests because neither party can really claim to represent the interests of working class people at this point. Yeah, I mean, if you were to vote for your material interests, you'd vote for Bernie Sanders, period. Right. And, and we know that Bernie Sanders lost both elections because of the Democratic establishment. Bernie Sanders was not defeated by Republicans. The Democrats never gave him the option to go against Republicans. And we'll never know. We'll never know if Bernie Sanders would have defeated Donald Trump in either 2016 or 2020. We'll never know. But you know what we do know? Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump. And guess what? Joe Biden came within a fingernail of losing to Donald Trump, the most historically unpopular president in modern American history, and someone <laughs> someone <laughs> so unqualified for office, right? Joe Biden's Uniquely not so. a victim. <laughs> uniquely unqualified for office the democrats put up joe biden and he squeaks out a victory fingernail and all because the democrats say that he's the most electable candidate if joe biden is the democratic party's most electable candidate we are screwed we're screwed right like yeah. our, our future politics is done techno feudalism <laughs> blah, blah 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 it's over uh, so, so we the democratic party needs to articulate the, the things that we talk about on the show which is protecting and advocating for materials interests Matt, I apologize. I played the wrong clip. I meant to play the one that uh, about the stocks. Let's listen to. Oh another, my God, my favorite. Yeah, let's listen to another clip about Kelly Loeffler now. Then we'll transition to hearing from John Ossoff, the other candidate in the race. Uh, you know, Democrat running against Republican David Perdue, and actually some of the positive things that he brought up, some of his positive rhetoric. I think the Democrats could continue to fight for um, people's material interests. First, though, let's continue in our dark pit of despair, listening to radical anti-democratic uh, corporate shrill and liar Kelly Leffler about, hmm, should uh, senators be allowed to trade stock? By the way, the context here is that both David Perdue and Kelly Leffler, the Republican inc incumbent senators in Georgia, have been uh, accused of dumping stock way at the start of the pandemic back in February after they were in closed door meetings that told them that the pandemic was going to be way worse than the American people knew it was going to be at the time. So, conservatives uh hearing in closed door meetings pandemic's going to be really bad folks uh this is going to hit us hard meanwhile the american public they don't know it's going to be really bad right we had to wait till march 16th or whatever to figure out wait this is a this is a big deal all in the meantime these republicans kelly leffler david purdue are dumping stocks so they can make millions of dollars off of it let's hear what she has to say when asked hmm should you be allowed to trade stocks senator 
Should members of Congress be barred from trading stocks? Look, what's at stake here in this election is the American dream. That's what's under attack. When they attack me for a lie, a left-wing media lie conspired with the Democrats by, this is an attack on every single Georgian who gets up every day to work hard to provide a better life for their family who wants to live the American dream. It's a distraction from the real issues, not the conspiracies in this election. What's at stake is the future of our country, our freedoms to live the American dream, to not be taxed into bankruptcy, to not have to go on to government uh, health care, government-run health care. They want to take away the health care that 180 million Americans rely on through their work. Okay, we'll, we'll cut it off there. Uh, she's, of course, lying about the fact that Democrats want to take away 180 million people's health care. It's, it's a confluence of the facts where, where Democrats want to establish, well, some Democrats want to establish universal health care for everyone. That would removing the corporate option, but establishing a guaranteed government option as health care is a human right. So uh, fact check that one. But Matt, any reactions to Loeffler dodging the question of whether or not senators should be able to trade stocks? You know, um, you know, those posts on social media where people say like, oh, I made the computer listen to Mozart for a thousand hours and then write it to see it. it I told it to write a Harry Potter book and this is what it came up with. Uh, uh, Philip K. Dick nightmare personified Kelly Leffler sounds like uh, a, a learning computer that was told to watch like a thousand hours of OAN network and then hold a political debate with <laughs> a democratic opponent. <laughs> so you're, you don't, you don't buy, you don't buy the fact that she's fighting for the American dream and uh, everyday Georgians wake up. This is what's at stake. You don't buy that. Uh, I'm, I'm typically against moralizing people, but if you are, are, are making fun of like, average everyday Americans, but if you think that Kelly Leffler represents your interests as a working class person, then you are, you're dumb. You're dumb. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Unless you're, again, unless you're a capitalist, as in you own a very wealthy business, or unless you're a member of the 1%, as in you own a whole bunch of stocks, um, Kelly Leffler doesn't represent you. Doesn't represent you at all. And I don't care where you stand on abortion. You know, if you're a single issue voter, it's like politics is about a lot more than that, a lot more than that. And um, yeah, this, as someone who uh, is married to the person who uh, is heads the conglomerate that oversees the New York Stock Exchange, mm, doesn't seem like someone who represents really the American dream. And I always get into arguments with people, well, you know, Democrats, socialists, they're going to prevent me from becoming a millionaire and billionaire. There's 651 billionaires in the United States. There's 335 million people. Why are there not more billionaires in the United States if it's that easy to become a billionaire? Give you a hint. It's not because of democratic taxes. It's because it's a brutal economic system that only allows us a very few to trickle their way to the top by exploiting other people. So Kelly Leffler is one of those people. Let's turn our attention now, though, to perhaps a lighter side of things. Man, I pulled so many other clips. You're right, Matt. We didn't have time to get through them. Anyways, <laughs> we'll, we'll hear from John Ossoff now. He's a Democratic challenging incumbent David Perdue, uh, another member, another of the most conservative members of the U.S. Senate, another uh, multimillionaire business owner candidate who uh, didn't show up for the debate. 
so we chose to focus more on the Warnock Leffler debate because um, it was an actual debate where a candidate went against another candidate. Uh, David Perdue didn't Allegedly. feel like. I'm sorry. Allegedly, I mean, I'm not sure you can call uh, radical uh, <laughs> uh, Amazon AI program Kelly Leffler candidate, but yeah, it, you know, it wasn't much of a debate, but. Um, it, it, it certainly wasn't a debate at all with John Ossoff. That's not his fault, though, for David Perdue not showing up. He didn't show up because he didn't feel like he needed to. He felt like he could still win the election without even showing up. So uh, there's a great metaphor for you of also what the Republican Party stands for, how much they care about democracy. But, um, you know, the positive side of things on 100.9 FM, WXIR in Rochester, you're tuned into one, uh, to evidence of design, is that... Sometimes the Democrats happen to get it right with their rhetoric. Sometimes they articulate great material interests that they can fight for. Let's hear now from a prolonged clip, a minute and a half from John Ossoff during his so-called debate. Because, you know, when we think about the Trump presidency and what Donald Trump represented, that kind of leadership really only grows when there's already been a destruction of faith in our political institutions, in our political system. For decades now, working people in this country have been forced into financial precarity. Wages for the middle class have been declining. Congress refuses to raise the minimum wage to $15. Factories closing because of trade deals that are written not to help ordinary people, but to help folks like David Perdue, who bragged about how he spent most of his career outsourcing jobs, deliver more money to their shareholders. The growth of corporate power in our political system has meant that ordinary working people are cut out of a deal. And this corruption is not a problem that taints just one political party. It's a problem that taints the entire political system. We don't have to live in a country where families can just barely make ends meet, where wages decline for 40 years, where the possibility of a bad diagnosis raises the specter of bankruptcy. We can deliver government that works for the people, all people, health, jobs, and justice for the people. And that's why folks need to make a plan to vote with early voting starting on December 14th. All right. I'm crying. I'm crying. I mean, like, come on now. Like that, if Democrats do that, they're good, right? Uh, we, we pulled that clip. That's a minute and a half clip out of a 30-minute debate. Um, it, if, if Democrats do that more often, then we will live in a much better society because more people will vote for more candidates who represent policies and practices that will benefit the vast majority of, of Americans. Yeah. I don't want to sing John Ossoff's, John Ossoff's praises too much. Cause I feel like he's the second coming of Pete Buttigieg, but, <laughs> um, I do want to say, uh, I think we're running out of time, but a point I wanted to make and to get to is that so often a sort of reason or excuse that we're told by people who oppose socialism is that it's just not doable, it's not achievable, we don't know how to do it, we don't know how to make it work, we don't have the money for it, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a really nihilist view I think when you take into consideration that, uh, you know, the the system that we live under now, capitalism is is responsible 
directly and indirectly for the the for uh, the, a level of misery and suffering that is unimaginable. I mean, everything from the the degradation of our of our faith and our uh, institutions and political process to the the uh, abject poverty and, and human misery that we inflict both on uh, the poor people of this country and across the world through our global hegemonic economic politics to the actual uh, uh, growing inhospitabil- inhospitability and hospitable the planet is doomed <laughs> because of <laughs> because of because of placing uh profits over over our own well-being i mean we we've known that at least since the 1970s that uh oil and gas companies like exxon mobil understood the scientific uh, uh well the 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 um the, the price that we would pay for mass consumption of fossil fuels. And, and they did it anyway, just the same way that, in much the same way that, you know, the tobacco company understood the, the health cost of uh, cigarettes and continued to buy off doctors and sell them to people in, oh, order, to, in order to make profit. And, and the point that I had to say is that every time you know, you, that we start to feel like there's nothing that we can do, you know, it, it's very hard, I think, to feel optimistic or hopeful in this time. But I think we, as uh, as people, we have an obligation to uh, remain uh, hopeful that we can do something because we know we can do something if we are able to uh, uh, work together as a collective, work for the the interests, the betterment of people and society as a whole we can affect real change and and so it's important to to remember remember that 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 desire or that uh, to embrace nihilism or despair that is the position that uh, the, the the reptiles the snakes the conservatives of the world want you to take and and you, you need to fight against you need to rail against that with everything that you have Hundred percent agree, Matt. I always think we can we can literally land people on the moon. We absolutely have the power to distribute food, housing, healthcare to people. Absolutely, that is not an impossible task. We have the power to do it. We're smart creatures, and I also think down to heart, we are good people too. People generally want to treat others the way they want to be treated. Prove me wrong. I don't think so. There are instances that can happen, but in general, human beings are good and human beings are capable of living in a diverse, multicultural, and most importantly, because it encompasses everything else, equitable society. We can do that. And it starts off by uh, not voting for people who are lizards and radical conservative corporate anti-democratic shrills and liars. Should be obvious who those folks are. So, hey. We got to end our show here. Thanks for tuning in to Evidence of Design on 100.9 FM WXIR in Rochester. We're looking forward to next week's show. We'll be talking about civic engagement. So continuing what we just ended on here, how you and we and all of us can get involved to shape society the way it should be shaped for all, for, well, most of us, for those who want to participate in <laughs> an egalitarian or, uh, you know, equitable 
and multicultural society. We'll talk about how we can do that next week, talking about civic engagement. Until then, you can always find our past episodes of Evidence of Design anywhere you get a podcast, including on YouTube. We're there as well. Stay in touch with us throughout the week. You can email us anytime at radioeod at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at our Radio EOD handles. EOD stands for Evidence of Design. I was your host, Jason Taylor, joined via Zoom by my good friends and co-hosts, Matt Treadwell. So long. And Mary Lawrence. Keep your mask on, folks. Yeah, stay safe out there. Keep your mask on. Stay physically distant, be well, be safe, take care, and bye-bye.